dear boss. I keep on hearing the police have caught me, but they won't fix me just yet. I have laughed when they look so clever and talk about being on the right track. That joke about leather apron gave me real fits. I am down on whores and shan't quit ripping them till I do get buckled. Grand work the last job was. I gave the lady no time to squeal. How can they catch me now? I love my work and want to start again. You will soon hear of me with my funny little games. I saved some of the proper red stuff in a ginger beer bottle over the last job to write with, but it went thick like glue and can't use it. Red ink is fit enough, I hope, ha ha. The next job I do, I shall clip the lady's ears off and send to the police officers just for jolly, wouldn't you? Keep this letter back till I do a bit more work. Then give it out straight. My knife's so nice and sharp, I want to get to work right away if I get a chance. Good luck. Yours truly, Jack the Ripper. Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Halloween special edition of Straight Talking English on Jack the Ripper and his influence on literature. The note you just heard was the first time anonymous serial killer Jack the Ripper named himself in public, though obviously it's an actor reading it. He's passed into legend and his five victims, known as the Canonical Five, were all hideously murdered and mutilated and are remembered today by those stupid tourists, hordes of them, on those tacky ripper tours you see around East London. However, his influence on several key works of 19th century literature isn't discussed that much. And he lives on in the haunting atmosphere and spirit of uncertainty that pervades Jekyll and Hyde, The Sign of Four, and The Picture of Dorian Gray, and Dracula, the most gothic of all gothic texts. I am your host, as ever, Catherine, STR8 Talk English on Twitter, straighttalkingenglish.com. I'm not sure how you're listening to this podcast, but you can listen to it on Spotify. SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Castbox, and many, many other services, as well as direct from my website. If you like what I'm saying or doing, I am the author of the, well, the first two and a bit of the full context series, which is available on Amazon, in which I basically write exactly what I'm doing here today and talking about the context of a famous work of literature. So let's get on with our horrific Ripper story. Before we start, there has been a slight mention of uh, disgusting things already in the note. Content warning, we are going to be talking about bodily mutilation, murder, a little bit of xenophobia, and generally disgusting, disgusting acts on sex workers. If this will be something that upsets you, potentially skip this one and just assume that these murders were very, very important to those books. 
Okay, done. So picture the scene. It's 1888 in East London. It smells. There is not proper sewage. There is pollution. There is fogs everywhere. It is grim. There is not a a lot of sunlight getting into these houses. It's the reason Tiny Tim has rickets. People around here are poor. They do not have the facilities that we would come to expect from the average Victorian that we have in our minds. And these are people who in some ways are quite desperate for what they can get to survive. Someone who isn't necessarily as desperate is someone who owns a shop in Bethnal Green. In fact, it's one straight road, Mile End Road, from this particular shop in Bethnal Green and the site of the first Ripper murder. The person who owns that shop is my great-great-grandfather. He'd opened the shop 10 years previously and it would stay in my family's possession until about the time I was born in the 1980s. He would have seen a lot of new faces. There have been waves of immigration in the years preceding 1888 and a lot of new suspicion. His customers could well have been Jewish refugees fleeing pogroms, Russians sick of living under the Tsar and Irish immigrants hoping for a better life. The same waves of immigration would be what this man's grandson, my grandfather, would see in the 1950s and 60s with Windrush. East London has always been the first area to see new faces from people. The streets are full of the fogs, which have since become part of East London law. There are newspapers sold on the street corner, but they're very similar to sort of, you know, take a break um, style scandalous stories that we have today. Juicy murders are reported real time and Victorians loved a good murder. In fact, if my great-great-grandfather had wanted to find the first victim, it would not have taken a lot of effort. It's 30 minutes walk away down Myland Road, and the first victim of the Ripper was Mary Ann Nichols. Her body was discovered at 3.40am on Friday the 31st of August 1888 in what's now Durwood Street in Whitechapel. Her throat was severed by two cuts, and the lower part of her abdomen was partially ripped open by a deep, jagged wound. Several other incisions on the abdomen were caused by the same knife. A week later, he struck again. This time Annie Chapman's uterus was removed after death in addition to similar wounds found on Nichols's body. Three weeks later, Elizabeth Stride was found dead, but this time she'd been seen with a man earlier that evening. Witnesses gave differing descriptions. Some said her companion was fair, others dark. Some said he was wearing shabby clothes, others said he would dress really well. But on that same night, the Ripper was very busy. He also killed Catherine Eddowes, and this time took her kidneys along with her uterus. Some of her clothes were found the next day covered in blood, and they were found next to graffiti, which may have been implicating London's Jewish population. There is no evidence the Ripper actually did it. Someone else might, the graffiti might have been there earlier, someone might have done it before they called the police, but it was next to this link to the traditional Jewish population of the East End. Perhaps the one that scares me the most is his final murder of Mary Ann Kelly that was carried out at her home and she was found on the 8th of November with most of her organs missing. It's commonly reported that all five of these women were sex workers, but actually, according to a wonderful book called The Five, which I really recommend you buy, it's amazing, they were not. One of them was confirmed to be a sex worker, but 
it's kind of a more nebulous term if someone in authority saw a working class woman out on the street they might assume she was a sex worker but she could not be there was also this culture of like um incidental sex work where it wouldn't be your profession but if you really needed some money short term or a woman would do it for a little bit then get a job and sort of drift in and out of it so if you see it reported that he killed sex workers the answer is no not really he also may have killed up to seven other women but these five are the five that are definitely linked together as being ripper victims Press culture in 1888 was far more advanced and closer to ours than you think. Court proceedings were reported real-time, and events overseas about real-time but like a two-week delay. The public's obsession with gory murders is so similar to how we love horror movies and true crime podcasts now. Since Serial was produced, this whole market has absolutely exploded and if i can recommend any true crime true crime all the time is amazing and the guy has a really soothing voice but details were published and because people didn't know very much it was frequently made up and because they couldn't publish the crime scene photos there were frequently made up pictures as well the immediate reaction was to blame the influx of foreigners we had vigilantes patrolling the streets nobody felt safe whether it was in east london or throughout the capital lots and lots of policemen did conduct house to house inquiries forensic material was collected and examined suspects were identified traced and examined more closely or eliminated In fact, more than 2,000 people were interviewed, about 300 were investigated, and 80 were detained, but it didn't really go anywhere. This is where we get our first connection to literature. Jekyll and Hyde had been published three years before, and by now was adapted into a stage production running in Leicester Square. This made financial sense because there were people who would go and see a play but may not necessarily go out and buy a book. The actor who played Jekyll also played Hyde, but he did it with a change in costume and a change in body language. And apparently this guy was amazing. In fact, he was possibly too amazing, because a couple of people reported him to the police as a potential ripper suspect, because obviously someone who can change their appearance that quickly must be a murderer. The production was closed. It was felt there was too much grimness and murder in the wake of the ripper killings than, you know, was necessary. So why add to it with a production of a play where an old man gets murdered with a walking stick. It's just too horrifying to see these reminders. The next year, in 1890, a publisher held a dinner party. The guest list included Oscar Wilde and Arthur Conan Doyle. And I would, honestly, when people ask you those questions about, you know, if you had, if you could invite anyone to a dinner party, no, nah, mate, I would go to that one. But the thing is, they were sat near each other and they had a conversation and this conversation between the ultra libertine wild and the super conservative doyle is lost to history we don't know exactly what they talked about but both writers cite this party and conversation as the genesis of their next work for doyle it was sign of four 
and for Wilde it was a picture of Dorian Gray. But they both went different ways with it. Doyle followed the thread of public suspicion towards newcomers and foreigners. So the bad guy, Jonathan Small, is an ex-con returned to England from the Andaman Islands penal colony. His partner in crime is a native skilled in the art of poison. We've got a lot of different Victorian ideas mixed together when we're making this link between the Ripper and the sign of four. We, as British white people, are a race with a mission to civilise the world. We are born to rule, according to conventional wisdom at the time. Being uncivilised is therefore being savage. And if white British people are civilised, then being not white is savage. And not white equals foreign it's it's kind of one of these logistics puzzles so to commit horrible murder is unbritish savage non-white so it must be a foreigner who's committed the murder right done case closed i mean it is one of these holmesian style deductive things and we can see obviously so many holes in this i feel like it would take a whole podcast just to list the holes in that theory but um that's the thread that he's following when he's creating the bad guy in sign of four oscar wilde goes the other way he focuses on how a man can hide his sins from the public so if you don't know the story this is how it goes dorian gray is wonderful he is painted beautiful beautiful full portrait beautiful full-length portrait in oil by basil hallwood who kind of fancies him. Basil believes that Dorian's beauty is responsible for the new mood in his art. Through Basil, Dorian meets Henry Wooten and becomes hedonistic with this aristocrat. Worried that his beauty will fade, Dorian wants to sell his soul to ensure the picture rather than he will die. The wish is granted. Dorian decides that he's just going to be sinful and seduce people and do whatever he wants while his picture ages and records every single sin he does. So this is how it gets linked to the Ripper. No one is what they seemed. Even a really respectable person might have a terrible secret. Gray's biography could include rippery behaviour. There are quote-unquote mysterious and prolonged absences he lives in a sordid room of the little ill-famed tav- ill-famed tavern near the docks docklands east end he stays in this room under an assumed name and in disguise and stories that you have been seen creeping at dawn out of dreadful houses and slinking in disguise into the foulest dens of London are what Dorian is accused of. He's no different from the Ripper. I mean, it's a fictional narrative, but we can tell where Oscar's going with that. But about a year after the Ripper killings, there is a young writer working part-time who is inspired by the horrific newspaper headlines linking the murders of the Ripper to the occult, as well as the ruins of Whitby Abbey. This is, no prizes really, Bram Stoker. And the novel that comes out of this is Dracula. There are so many parallels. Five women are murdered in Whitechapel. Dracula has five brides who he's attacked and mutilated. The doctor in Dracula has a black bag. In Whitechapel, a guy was arrested for having a black 
bag. Van Helsing and his friends in Dracula create a vigilance committee and, like, there are vigilantes on the street. A lot of the reporting comes across as being hugely, hugely, disgustingly anti-Semitic. In fact, the East London Observer said that the crimes committed by the Ripper were so vile they, quote-unquote, must have been done by a Jew. Like, it's too early in the morning to bang my head on the table, but I feel like it. Stoker and ran with it. So, a lot of the Jewish people who came to London were coming from Russia, where they'd been the victim of all kinds of purges. So, Jewish people are scary. They've come from Russia, Eastern Europe, bad guy from Eastern Europe. Again, the connection is there, but luckily he's laid off the horrifically Jewish bit. But here's the question. My great-great-grandfather, would he have been afraid of the Ripper? Um, probably. He was married at the time, but he hadn't had any children. In fact, he wouldn't for another ten years. He'd always grown up with fog and darkness in alleyways. But it's one of these things where for the first time you see it in detail. And I can just picture all of a sudden that darkness being something unpleasant. He have seen the connection between the Ripper and these novels. Maybe. Novels like this were published cheaply in instalments for a young literate audience with only a little bit of money to spare. So this young man we're talking about, yeah, he's their target audience. He's a small business owner, so he has some limited money. He's young, he's benefited from the 1876 Education Act, so he can read. Yeah, he could have bought a copy and read it by Gaslight. But maybe it's just us today, separated by like 130 odd years, that can actually see these parallels and influences. And that is the Ripper's legacy, rather than those stupid tourist buses. That is the legacy. It's Dracula, it's Jonathan Small, it's Dorian Gray. It's the idea that a man can change himself with stagecraft and thus dear reader concludes our halloween special thank you very very much for listening i will be returning next episode which should hopefully drop on friday talking about the empire the british empire in the sign of four have a lovely lovely week watch out for the ripper and i will speak to you very very soon